It's all quite exciting, isn't it? There's loads of new products coming out, but the problem is we can't talk about it yet. We definitely can't talk about it yet, so you two need to be on your best behaviour. It's quite an odd thing that you've asked us to do. I'll come on a podcast to talk about the new Callaway driver, but you can't mention the new Callaway driver. I don't know quite how we're going to do that, really. How about <laughs> we talk about the old Callaway stuff and what we think is good? And you have also spoken to someone from Callaway. Yeah, I spoke to Dave Neville. Um, he is the Senior Director of Brand and Product Management at Callaway. Um, we had an interesting chat about which drivers over the years he thinks have been like the most important in terms of kind of like new technology to driving them on to the point where they are today. Well, I can talk about Callaway drivers from years ago because they're much older than you two. Um, they, they were very much the, the sort of groundbreaking brand. I think it was like 1991 or certainly the early 90s when uh, the first Big Bertha came out, which was the first kind of all steel heavy driver. And that was the sort of massive game changer. I was working golf in 2000, 99, 2000 in a, in a pro shop. And uh, that was when they were kind of into warbirds. Do you remember those? Does that mean anything to you? I mean, I've heard the name, but I never hit them. They had like, it was a sole plate that was this very specific kind of, it was almost like a V-shaped. Oh, yeah, so it's a funny shape, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like a, like a V-shaped design on the sole, which made it kind of pretty workable. And I think they still, they used that technology for a long time, the Warbird sole plate. Uh, and then you're into things like Big Bertha and Great Big Bertha. It wasn't until, I think, 2004, like mid-2000s, that you ended up with titanium heads and GBB and that sort of thing. But those steel-headed uh, Big Bertha drivers from that sort of, the, 90, the 90s was a great decade, full stop, let's face it. Um, I can't remember much about it, but I can remember uh, the Callaway Big Bertha driver being like the thing that you wanted to get your hands on. And it was like our biggest seller by miles in retail at that time. Um, and then, yeah, and then they, I think they were first with, with titanium as well. So they've been kind of pushing the boundaries of driver technology for 30 odd years. You have grown, you two have grown up with more recent iterations of Callaway, presumably. Yes, I would say my favourite. It's probably quite a recent one, actually. I loved the Maverick. I had that in play for a long time. Like, you had to basically rip it out of my hands to get it out of my golf bag. Yeah, the, the Maverick was a great shape, wasn't it? Yeah. It was very attractive to look at. I had a, um epic Sub-Zero, which was not custom fit for me, <laughs> which was amazing on centred hits, but literally went nowhere on off-centred hits. So it didn't last in that bag very long, but it was... It was lovely to look at. So the story of that is go for a custom fitting. I have custom fitting because I should never have a life swim club ever. But, um, yeah. They also produced the square driver. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was yeah. There's actually a few knocking about when I worked worked in a pro shop and cleaned clubs for the majority of my time. I actually think there was a warbird and definitely a few square headed Callaways knocking about. The FTI. Yeah. The FTI tour. I thought the X-Hot was like a massive driver. Everyone loved that. You see like so many three woods of that knocking around for ages as well because people just like yeah. loved it. Yeah. It is funny isn't it, how some of these things just stay in people's bags as in they'll sort of do something that you just stick with. Um, we were looking at best-selling Callaway clubs over time and there was some X12 irons which I remember having for years and years and years. They sort of, don't know whether it's because the tech kind of just dates slowly or more slowly or whether it's just something you particularly like using, but there are some products that do seem to stick. 
they brought out like a kind of reincarnated Big Bird, didn't they, a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. What was that like? So that was more like in their game improvement range. So it's still running now. Yeah, I bought one of those in my carriers. I actually really liked it. It didn't go anywhere, but it was really, it saved me at a time where I couldn't hit anything. <laughs> and I could basically just spin it into play. It was really good. What was the point of that, Anna? So they have kind of like a second line, which is Big Bertha, like game improvement products. So it's like known as B21 and it's all very designed to be very draw biased. Um, they also have like the Big Bertha Reva, which is like the women's range. So it's similar. It's like they have a second range of clubs that are more designed to be just like super game improvement and game improvement ranges. So, so it's like a big deal in it, Callaway Driver launch. Everyone gets very excited about it. It is very exciting. I'm trying not to say more than I can, but I think people are going to like this launch. Yeah. You've hit it, haven't you? Yes. Which is more than could be said that for most of the UK. <laughs> I think it's explain, actually. We can't, we can't find any samples to test ahead of launch. Yeah, there's a bit of a... Well, is it stock issue? They're all at Heathrow. They just can't get through border control. I think it was a strike issue, isn't it? Is that not a we couldn't get the three board control everyone's on strike. Yes, everyone is on been on strike over Christmas. So anyway, so you two making a dawn raid on Peterborough tomorrow to go and uh, get some video with yeah. the new driver. Yeah. We are driving about five hundred miles to hit the driver properly tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be a long day, but it should be good fun. It's <laughs> worth it. Hit, hit the new one, definitely. Um, and you spoke to uh, the chap from Callaway about. He what he thought was their sort of most groundbreaking technology, the drivers that he's been most excited about in the past. Yeah, should we see what he said? Let's see what he said, yeah. Hi Dave, thanks so much for joining us. In the kind of lead up to the new year and new product coming out, I wanted to get you on and have a chat about how Callaway tech has kind of changed over the years and have a bit of a look back at what's been before we see what's new and what's coming up. So what would you say in terms of, this is going to be a big question, so it might take us a while to unpack this, but what do you think has been some of kind of the most important drivers in Callaway's history to kind of get us to where we are now? Well, yeah, that is a big question, but <laughs> I, I mean, I think you you have to go back to the original Big Bertha, the first oversized kind of metal wood um, of the early 90s. I mean, that was huge. That's really what put Callaway on the map. And then the great big bertha the first great big bertha which was the first titanium driver i mean this was absolutely huge you know you had tour players playing this you had regular golfers people picking up huge amounts of um of distance and so i think going back i mean those are two of probably the the foundational callaways had a lot of amazing drivers <laughs> over the years but but those two i mean those the original big bertha and the first great big bertha are are legendary i think it's interesting because we see so many different stories throughout the years and I think there's depending on like your age and when you played there's like different key ones that you remember is there any that have been like your favorite to play with well um obviously with the the epic driver was a huge one for us so this was the first driver that used uh, jailbreak and we we really knew in the fall before we even launched it we had started doing some testing with it testing with our tour players and 
were like, wow, we really have something here. And I remember going to one of with some of our big retailers and telling them we're going to have the number one selling driver in 2017. And they looked at us like we're crazy. The eyes roll, you know, because another company won't name names that had the number one driver for a lot of years in a row. I think it was like 10 years in a row. And um, once Epic came out, I mean, it just burst on the scene and people were picking up a ton of, of, of distance. And we had in the U.S. over 40 percent market share um, that year was incredible for us. So, yeah, that was a, a, a personal favor because it really flipped the script and, and got us to, to number one in, in drivers and in Metalwoods. It's quite interesting how you have like one like big product like that and then you kind of use that theme throughout different years how does that kind of help the consumer on knowing like this is like a really good product yeah i mean the the technology keeps evolving and and we do get the questions all the time of like how can you make it better you know year over year and it's the same question you'd ask about like an iphone like oh they have another iphone how can they make it better well we got 120 people in r d and we're working on this stuff all of the all the time um, so one of the big advances we've made in the past few years is around artificial intelligence and, and, and AI. And what that allows us to do is, is a couple things. We can do a massive amount of prototyping that we couldn't do in the past. So in the past, we would have four or five different prototypes of a face and we'd kind of test them and then just pick the best and go with it. Now we're able to do thousands of those prototypes virtually and the computer, the AI is telling us which one is going to be best. And it creates a type of face that engineers couldn't, humans couldn't do it by themselves. And, And that's really, really exciting. And then we've been able to add new constraints into the system. So it started looking at just the center ball speed with the AI, and then it moved to both um, speed, launch, and spin. Then we started looking at kind of forgiveness across the face. So the AI has continued to evolve and get better, and we are making improvements. So if you have a driver that's several years old and you go in and get fit, you're going to see a major, major difference. You know, if you if you have one that was perfectly fit for yourself this year and then you take it up against next year you should see some some differences is it going to be a quantum leap no but we are improving them over time uh every year so we always encourage people to go out and try them and and get fit i think that was really interesting i mean it is amazing isn't it that we're talking to dave who is right at the cutting edge of this stuff for one of the world's biggest brands and still sort of speaking so fondly about the breakthrough that that um, big birth of stuff was 30 years ago. It's absolutely amazing. And it is also interesting to hear them talk about technology that passes from line to line. Um, and that sort of, I guess, like any, like any sort of lineage, it, if something is working well and it stays, um, as in that's how humans, humans develop, it's literally how iterative development works. If you find a piece of technology that that is working, then you don't you don't alter it fundamentally. You just build on it and build on it and build on it. So that jailbreak stuff that has, has stood the test of time is interesting to hear him talking about that being a breakthrough piece of tech. I think it was five or six years ago that has kind of, as you say, kind of stayed in the in the current product. It's pretty amazing. I think it's like a big thing that they do. Like they're always refining and improving on like stuff they have. But I think sometimes it gets lost by the consumer because they like like this new exciting story, like, oh, this is what the driver is this year, this is what it does. And that's not really what Callaway do. Like they kind of keep evolving. Like even with the AI stuff, like I don't think people understand that story as much as they 
could do. Like they have these massive supercomputers and they can basically say to it, we want like at this club head speed, we want the ball speed to be between this and this. We want the spin to be between this and this, like 2000 and 2000, for example. We want the launch to be this. And then the computer goes away and designs multiple ways they can create that. And like then they can keep refining and saying, oh, well, actually we want the spin to be down a little bit and we want the launch to be up a little bit and we want it to be this amount of forgiving on this part of the club face. So like you've gone from before where literally every single design they had to hand make with a machine and then test it with a robot. This computer can just create this simulation and tell them how it's going to perform and then they can just decide if they're going to do it or not. So you've gone from like thousands of hours to create an iteration of a club to be able to do it in like milliseconds, basically. Yeah. So think of how many more options you can test in that year period before a new driver comes out. Like it's so much easier to test different things and make an improvement because like the time saving is huge. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things with that. I think first of all, on the on the sort of continuity of technology point, like a lot of the brands are sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they keep that tech story the same and if they've got some tech that's working and that remains the narrative from one launch to another then there's the risk of the consumer shrugging their shoulders and saying well my current Callaway's got jailbreak or whatever else uh, but if they ditch it completely and start again with something new then I think that's also frustrating for the consumer because they'll be like well this time last year or two years ago you were telling us that this was the fundamentally going to be the, the game changing piece of technology now you've ditched that completely so it's like where do they go with that but I think to your point about um, the testing, I think as much as the sort of marketing story moves on and the product moves on in terms of what's in the consumer's hands, the testing behind the scenes is where there's been some significant developments in terms of artificial intelligence. Because we've, we know that all the brands in any product, not just golf clubs, occasionally will get a dud and it's something that comes to market and it just doesn't work when it's actually in consumer hands. And it might have had the best robot testing ever and the best data ever when people are using it, it's, it just doesn't work. And I think what we're seeing now is the evolution of that testing process. So what is coming to market is much more likely to work when it's in human hands because the AI, because the testing technology, as much as the technology in the golf clubs themselves has improved. So what they're bringing to market is much more likely to work when a person uses it. Um, so I think you're getting fewer and fewer duds, basically, in terms of the new product that's coming out. I also think now there's just more options available. Like if you think back to like your big births or whatever, that was like their one drive from the year and it was like a fixed hosel neck and there wasn't much you could do with it. You go get fit and they'd say, right, you need a 9, 10.5 or a 12 or whatever. Yeah. And that was like basically the end of your fitting. Mm -hmm. There might be a couple of different shafts. Now you can have like, what, hundreds of different shaft options. You've got an adjustable hosel where you can tweak the lofts like every half degree. You can move the weights on the bottom of the club head. There's like three, four driver head options to pick from. So like as well as just there being new technology, there's also like multiple variations of the club. So if you slice it a bit or you draw it a bit or you hit it high or low or you don't spin it enough, you spin it too much. Like there's always another option that you can try I think sometimes that's get lost. People think, well, why have they brought more drivers out? Well, actually it gives you like these two years worth of products that are all performing in like a slightly different way. Yeah, I think that just in terms of our product testing this year, like that to me was a massive learning. There's the, there's the inbuilt sort of custom fit between one iteration of the same driver brand 
and another, and often maybe two or three fairways or two or three different drivers that have got different biases of one description or another. And then you can tweak that on top of that, and then you can change the shaft. So you, all of a sudden you've got something that's very, very customised to you as a golfer, and that that is a huge sort of difference from certainly when I was growing up, where you just sort of picked one off the shelf and went and going with the Sounds like this story, doesn't it? Compared to what we've got now, it's it's an Yeah, it's only thirty years ago. <laughs> we were even alive then. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that is, I mean, that is interesting stuff from him. Did he have anything to say about what they're going to do next? We can't talk about that today. Yeah. Did he manage to not say anything about the new driver? Sorry, I'm more, more broadly what he thinks the future of golf clubs are. Yes, I did have a chat with him about that. And we also chatted about if drivers can actually like keep getting better because it's weird, isn't it? Like new clubs come out and people get annoyed. Like, why is there a new golf club? And people think, oh, well, nothing's better. And obviously like, a driver this year that's new compared to last year's one. There's only going to be small changes, but there are changes. Yeah. So I did ask him about that. Should we see what I said? Yeah. I think it's quite interesting when it comes to like the time of year when new products release, because I think a lot of consumers have got this thing in their head now that because the RNA have these like pretty stringent rules around equipment, that it's not possible for things to get better. But I think it's quite interesting because obviously the speeds they actually test that are quite high. They're kind of more pro-level speeds that they're doing the RNA testing with. How does that feed into like lower clubhead speeds? So who would who is actually getting the most out of like new tech generally? Yeah, and that's a great point too, because a lot of consumers feel like, oh, only the it only helps the tour pros, you know, or something like that. It's actually the opposite, because like what I'm saying is that the tour pros are so dialed in already um, that it, it it's very hard to get big gains for tour pros. But for a consumer whose you know game is is maybe a you know 15 handicap and they're swinging at 85, 90 miles an hour, yeah, there's huge opportunities to get not just more distance, but more forgiveness as well. And for a lot of those people hitting the more fairways or getting the ball into the fairway where it can roll and put themselves in a good position is really what's going to help them on the on the scoring. So there's no doubt. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's different tests that the, the RNA uses. Um, in the past, they used, we, they called a COR test um, and basically used an air cannon, high-speed air cannon. Um, and the test now has moved to a... Um, CT test, kind of a, a, a steel ball at a lower speed. So we're able to work within those rules to get people um, more speed and more distance, as well as more forgiveness. So we're always going to we're always going to stay within the rules, but there's still plenty of innovation out there. Yeah, I think on that point, like how far do you think tech can keep going within those rules? Well, I mean, if if you think about it, what we're doing with AI over the last five years and continuing to invest in that and now putting more constraints into the system to get something that's kind of more customized to your game. And then as you were talking about, um, now drivers are getting a lot more personalized. So how far can that go? You know, could you have a personal driver just for you? Could you have a personal 
uh, driver face that works just for how you you swing it. You know, I could see that happening um, down the road. The materials have gotten better. The use of carbons, um, the the use of titaniums, the high strength titaniums have, have gotten better. The use of weighting, you know, to kind of polar weight some of these these drivers to make them more forgiving. There's a lot of opportunity uh, there. Um, we talked about the sliding weight tracks and what you can do there. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it, 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 it's endless, but there's definitely there's runway for sure. It's quite funny, uh, Mister. It's you with a cold <laughs> and the hangover. Talk to a very eloquent American. They've got amazing phrases, haven't they? And who says that? Who says there's runway? Also, he's not played much golf in the UK when he's when he's talking and he's like, if we can get it in the fairway, we'll get more roll. You've not seen the length of the grass over here. Yeah. The ball's not rolling very far. He didn't roll at the moment. He did on my winter force when he frozen. <laughs> he, uh, the, that customizable stuff is it's not where your brain goes, is it? As not, a, not at all. I haven't even. I've, I've thought for a while. We sort of we must be at the limit of how fast the face can be, you know how you know because you sort of naturally assume that's where everybody is anyway. But listening to him talk about customizing the, you know, potentially having a totally customized face for your game, your swing, your desired flight, I've never even thought about that. And, and people are so obsessed with distance, and he talks a little bit more about getting it in play a little bit, and that's that is massive, I think, from what I see generally. So it's quite interesting, like the backstory to that customization thing, because basically what happens is they use this supercomputer. It's got the AI technology in it, and they say we want it to spin this, we want it to go this far, this much ball speed, etc. <laughs> Very big computer. <laughs> but basically, it spits out this design, and the back of the club face is really textured. So. Loads of different areas have different depths and different thicknesses. And what that means is, say, if you hit it slightly out the toe, the club face behind that is textured in a certain way to drive up the ball speed there. Because normally, if you hit it out the toe, it's further away from the centre, so your ball speed would drop. So it's trying to prevent that. And it also knows that certain people, or generally people, hit it out of certain areas, so like high toe, low heel. But what he's saying with that personalisation is you could go somewhere, hit... 50 drivers with Trackman, and it could literally map where you hit it on the club face the most often. And then it could have a personalized face that basically helps you with those areas, but also at your club head speed and at the spin you're presenting. So it could say, this person spins it this, and they swing it this fast, and we want it to be this. Like, what does the club face need to look like for that to happen? Which, That's amazing. that is mind boggling, isn't it? It's interesting on loads of levels, cause like so as Jack was saying, like when if someone says how if someone asks me the question and you a layman question, like where do you think you go with golf ball technology, then your brain starts just thinking of like cannons firing golf balls, like further and further, like it sort of goes like stupidly creative and like off the off the charts, like what could you do? But actually what they are talking about is is using the technology for marginal gains and personalising what they've got to an individual person, which is, yeah, experts are experts for a reason, right? I think the general consumer doesn't realise, like, the minute changes you can make to make the club head better. So, like, if you're repositioning one gram of weight in the club head, that is, like, majorly improving performance. So, like, if you're looking at one or two grams weight shift, you're talking at, like, 
15 yards of shot shape difference. Yeah. Wow. So, like, that small amount of grammage is affecting the club head in a massive way. So, for me, like, the biggest thing they're going to change is materials. Like, the more... You've seen it with carbon, like, carbon on the sole, carbon on the crown, etc. Like, the more they can get lightweight materials that are strong that they can use instead of, say, titanium, they can then move that weight into places they need it to be. Mm. So, like, I think people underestimate how much more can be changed because, one, they're doing so much material research. They're, like, way out. Like, some of the stuff they'll have that they know there's a material they can use, but they just can't physically work out how to weld into the rest of the head or stuff like that. So, like, a lot of the tech is, like miles ahead but not ready to be used yet you explain it very eloquently some videos that are coming out where you've explained the same point very eloquently but i think it's quite difficult to get those things to penetrate or to land with the machine because you're saying one gram people are going one gram and then you're saying 15 yards of difference and people are saying we have heard that before as well so it's quite difficult i think to get that technology story to land unless you go and hit the stuff so we've spent a week hitting this stuff and I cannot believe the performance difference between the last time I've been for a fitting, which was probably two or three years ago, and and now. And the sort of, not just the, well, everything, like the aerodynamics has improved, so I think club head speeds are up. And then I think that the technology, on top of that, the technology improves, the ball speeds up. And like, I was getting ball speeds out of this stuff that I can't really understand how I can do it. So I think that the technology is getting better. Like if this podcast is about is stuff getting better, I think it undoubtedly is. Um, the personalization point is interesting. Like so, again, you've explained it really well in terms of how um, you can get this uh, different thickness of face across the face, so you can deal with offs and hits better, make the club better balanced. I wouldn't. You just you just wonder how scalable that is. So if someone is always striking out the toe and you're saying that the next development might be that they have an individual face which benefits a toe strike. How do you how do you scale that from a manufacturing point of view? You can't make infinite varieties of head, can you? I think that ultimately comes back to how they construct it. So think about so a lot of the years they will send us heads which are break apart so you can take them apart and see the different bits and how they fit together. And like the club face section is quite separate to the rest of the club head. When people start, say, 3D printing parts more, that becomes more scalable because you can build the rest of the head and 3D print a face. I think the first part of it would be it would be some extra sort of customs thing, wouldn't it? So it's like your specialist customs program and they run that out and they only do X amount of year, like a year, and then they see how it works. But I think, one, manufacturing's getting better every year. So they can make parts quicker and easier. And also they can... The the biggest challenge is actually getting all the parts to stick together, <laughs> weirdly, which you wouldn't think about. And also, like, what they're using to stick the stuff together because even, like, the glue and the welding, like, that's extra weight that's mm-hmm. taken away from the other materials and the other tech. So, like, I think manufacturing is getting better, so it'll come quicker than you would think. Well... The stuff we've hit this year is definitely a step forward from, like I say, the last time I've had any, any sort of custom fit experience. So we've got one last segment from Div, and it's about if the rules change. There's a lot of talk about this at the moment, isn't there? 
will there be bifurcation? Will we have one set of clubs for amateurs, one set for pros? And the thought process is, if the if they do that, they're gonna make it like less restrictive on amateurs. So, in theory, golf clubs could be easier to hit. And I wondered, would that actually help? Sorry, you asked him whether it, it would actually, if the rules changed, if as in if there was by I can't say it by fewer if there was bifurcation, would that help? Then manufacture clubs that were even easier for amateurs. Yeah. Is that what you asked him? Correct. Are we going to give our views now or after Dave speaks? Well, go on. What do you think? Well, I've no idea what the answer is, but I would imagine the answer is yeah, it would. Um, and I think that this bifurcation question is like really tricky, isn't it? Because people make the argument that you want to play the same games and pros are pros are blah 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 blah. But. And then the counter argument is all the stuff about the handicaps haven't come down and golf's not getting easier. Um, and all of this feeds into like how golf courses set up and golf courses are getting longer and all the rest of it. Um, and there's lots of stats surfacing at the moment where people are saying if you can only hit your five iron 175 yards, then you shouldn't play any golf course, which is no longer than sort of six four. Um, and I think that. The more data we get on amateurs playing golf, the more it will be demonstrated that the golf's not actually, the golf's not getting any easier for your average player. Um, and actually we should be chopping trees down, we should be cutting the rough, golf courses should be shorter, and golf equipment should be trying to make it easier. So my instinct would be that bifurcation of the rules, if that did allow for manufacturers to make golf clubs easier for amateurs, which I think it would do, then that would be a massive positive thing because the game's still too hard most people hence handicaps i agree i'm just in that awkward bit in the middle where some tournaments i'd have to play pro clubs and some i'd have to play amateur clubs which i think yeah, would be really annoying no when people sell games get easier well, what, why have you got handicap then yeah why are we not all off scratch well, off well, they're not the sports, don't they? i think in um for example american basketball i think high school, college and pro, the pitch or the court, the pitch, um, <laughs> the court gets bigger and the hoop size goes up and gets smaller. Is that right? Yeah. No. Do you know what I didn't know until recently? In women's basketball, the hoop is slightly lower down, which I mean makes sense relative to like average height, but just never occurred to me before. You're saying in amateur basketball, the actual goal thing is small. I believe so, yeah. So I think... NBA using a taller net, but it's smaller. But if you're a high school player, it's shorter and wider. So it's like Ted Lasso in reverse, this, isn't it? Was trying to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it definitely helped. You know, I, I did wonder where you're going to go with that because I don't think there are loads of parallels with the sports where equipment. I think they do. They do it in America really well, or certainly a lot better than what we. I, you know, certainly from my sporting school days, it's just. This is a football pitch, you know. Crack on. Start and you're 12, it's too big, and when you get to 18. Right. So I think that is a good parallel. It's kids' sport. Maybe that's because that's the sort of world I live in. But when you're trying to get kids playing sport, you're trying to make and keep them playing it. You want them to be successful at it and for it to be easy for them. That's why when you go to a bowling alley, it has bumpers down the sides. And it's why when they play rugby, they don't whack into each other. They use tags. And it's why when they play football, they play on smaller pitches. Yeah. Uh, And it's the whole point of sport is it's supposed to be enjoyable 
in golf are sort of determined for it to be hard. Yeah, yeah. And we have all this sort of, if you read like descriptions of holes on golf courses, all about this challenging par four and this daunting tee shot. It's like, what about this beautiful par three that's really enjoyable and you might make it two occasionally? Like, why are we so desperate for it to be difficult? So, I, do you not think that's changing now? I think that's changing as like golf, new players come into the game and like older generations, traditionalists are sort of dying off. It's like evolving massively. I think it's changing totally. Well, today I think the, the traditionalists go go quite deep in terms of age profile. I think anyone who's grown up as a golfer has grown up around that. So I'm not sure it's anything to do with age particularly. I think it's it's just a mindset that sort of pervades in the game that is supposed to be difficult. Um, but I think to the point about equipment, I think by fabrication, presumably, he's got to say that um, if they were given carte blanche, they can make golf clubs really easy to use, surely. Well, yeah, but let's see how, because I wanted to know how are they going to do that. Now, there's a lot of talk at the moment about potential change to the rules. There could be different golf equipment for amateurs and pros. Theoretically, if they made like lifted the rules for amateurs so there was less like strictness how much difference do you think that would make in terms of performance like how much do you think things would advance yeah i think it really depends on which rule that they that they lift you know (laughs) (laughs) what i mean one of the rules obviously is around the size of the head 460 cc people hear that all the time 460 cc is kind of the max and they've maxed that out well if that wasn't a rule you could have driver heads that are 550 cc 600 cc you know and at, at some point they they become too big and they would be unwieldy um but you could have drivers in the 500 range you know 600 cc that could be really really forgiving you know no matter where you you hit them um a, a, across the face um if they were to lift They've already lifted the COR rule, but if they were to lift the CT uh, rule, which is kind of um, parallel to the COR uh, rule, you could start to see, you know, some faces that were really, really um, aggressive um, and and had hot spots. The the, the ball would really uh, j- jump off of. Um, so those would be two of the, two of probably the the big ones. Um, they also have a rule around um, plane in shape, basically. Um, that it's it's called that. Although if you look at a lot of drivers, they don't look super plain in shape. But if if they lifted that one, you could have some really wild looking designs. You could have wing <laughs> type of shapes on them, and and some kind of crazy different things. Like if you think about how some putters look, and they have wings and all that, you could do that with drivers, and um, that could that could get the MOI and the forgiveness way way up as well. I love reading through the equipment rules because there's some really niche rules in there, and you think. How did they come up with that? I think there's one for putters where it says putters cannot be in the shape of a dog. And I always think, <laughs> how how did that end up in there? Like, why did someone have to write that into the rules? Did someone have a dog putter that was suddenly making a lot of putts so they had to put a, a, a constraint in there? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's pretty wild. I, I you know, I, I will uh, defer. I don't want to make too many comments about the rules and all that. But to me, it's all about growing the game. And, um, you know, not necessarily the game is hard enough as it is. So I, I don't think anything that makes the game harder than it already is, is to me a kind of a, a bad idea. Now, I thought that was interesting because there's some stuff that's obvious, like when he talks about 
the CT, he's talking about the face being able to be basically springier. So the face would be able to bend more, you get more ball speed. What is CT? Characteristic time. <laughs> it's like how long the ball stays on the face for before it rebounds. But basically, they could make the face bend more, so then it could like lock, trampoline the ball off. Basically, okay. if think of it in that way. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing they don't like. Isn't it? Yeah, but that's obvious. Like they could make the face more springy, and then the ball would go further. Yeah. But I hadn't thought about the fact they could obviously make the club head bigger, which is means you can put more weight on the edge of it, which is going to make off center strikes more forgiving. And also, I hadn't thought about the fact like you can literally have you could have the driver like any shape you wanted. If you think about all the funky designs you get with putters, and like a driver generally is basically just round. It's not really round, is it? Well, you know what I mean. Elliptical. Yeah. Curved. <laughs> Oval. Fairly plain in yeah, like shape, though. Pear shaped, that's probably the, the best one we've got. Uh, right, but surely there must be some aerodynamic reason for that. And if you get out like enormous driver heads, it's not going to be a compromise with aerodynamics. Mind you, I suppose planes quite aerodynamic. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You can you can mess with the shape more to have like a more unusual shape that's aerodynamic, but it's like maybe wider, and you can get more perimeter weight on it. Yeah. And also remember, you can make the face springier. So how aerodynamic does it need to be? Because you can get more ball speed then from the club face. So like. I guess people talk a lot about like the balance of different things in current clubs because if you're changing the aerodynamics and moving the weight and it's affecting like the spin and the speed, mm. but actually you're not having to do that because you can change the shape and get it more forgiving, but still have ball speed by doing something different with the club first. Mm -hmm. The other thing, I guess, like for context, is you're only really talking about moving the bottom end, aren't you? So. I know they don't, but if you said that all of the best players, iron players, still use blades, mm -hmm. I'm say. I know they don't, but they, there are some people that choose to do that for performance reasons. And we're, those people are not going to move to something that has got an enormous head and a springy face because they're looking for other characteristics from the golf club. So you're actually only talking about the equipment changing for the very, very bottom end of players who are going to use this sort of tennis racket sized golf club with a super springy face. And that, I just don't, I don't see why you wouldn't allow that because that's more people playing, more people enjoying the game. And if you need to make a rule that says that elite amateurs and pros don't have access to that kit, then so be it. I don't know how much easier it'd be taking your kids to play golf if the yeah. head size was like double. <laughs> it'd be, you know, so much more fun and you know, they'd actually make contact with it. It'd be, it'd be so much better. Yeah, it would, yeah. How long do you think they could play the course then? What do you mean? The kids, you wouldn't have to start from like that. Well, when I started, you'd like start the 100 yard mark or whatever. Yeah. If you had some tech that was a bit easier to hit, then you'd feel like you could actually like... Yeah, get on the golf course earlier. Yeah. yeah. Or like you'd stay in the game. Yeah, just be way better. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting to hear that he, I suppose he would, but it's interesting to hear that he says that there would be big advantages if the rules changed. I think it's interesting to think how they would do it. Because you always think, oh, well, they must be able to do something better, but, like, what would they actually do? Yeah. Anyway, none of that's coming in yet, anyway, because the RNA have been working on these rule changes for a while. Anyway, it's really interesting to see what you two have got to say about the new calibre and you finally got to it. 
Yeah, I've really enjoyed hitting the other clubs that we have managed to get hold of, so um, can't wait to get my hands on the drive. See how the uh, journey goes. I'm not looking forward to the like five something wake up in the morning, but I'm sure the product's going to be worth it. Anyway, if you want to see the reviews, they will be up on our YouTube channel. We all have also got a podcast coming about all the new technology and everything else. All things something. Callaway something. <laughs> we'll be on the website. <laughs> you Callaway something. That's not the name. Just a disclaimer. <laughs>